It's not that we destroy nature because we're evil. We destroy nature because we just want to put food in our tables and want to have more nice things, right? But now we need to raise awareness. We need to uh, realize that we can only continue to develop as a civilization, as a humanity, if we are aligned with nature. If we don't see nature as a resource to exploit, but actually as the substrate of which we are part of and with which we have to be in balance and in harmony with. Hello, dear friends and damn givers. This is the Let's Give a Damn podcast, and I'm your host and friend, Nick LaPara. On this show, I have conversations with all kinds of amazing humans that have two things in common. They all give a damn, and they're all striving to live meaningful lives. Thank you for hitting play. Thank you for showing up this week. I'm so very glad you're here. Now, before I introduce you to this week's guest, I have one or two tiny asks for you. If you have 60 seconds to spare, would you be willing to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts? It really helps, and I promise it will only take a few seconds. And as you're listening to today's conversation, think about who should hear it and send it to them right away. I listen to a ton of podcasts, and almost every time I post about it on social media or I share it with a friend, and sometimes I do both. This is super helpful for those of us out there hustling and creating content. If you decide to do one or both of those things, thank you, thank you, thank you. This week, my guest is Diego Sayas Gill. Diego was born and raised in a small town in northern Argentina. In his 20s, he left Argentina to travel the world and to figure out how to leave his mark on the world. Now, I won't give away more of his story here because you should hear it from him. So I'll skip to the past few years. Most recently, Diego founded Pachama, a company that uses AI and satellite data to verify and monitor carbon sequestration by forests in order to drive more funding to their conservation and restoration. Truly incredible work. During this conversation, we talk about his incredible story, his journey that led him from multiple startups, successful startups, to his current incredible company, why we should be less angry and more hopeful, and so much more. Friends, Diego is fascinating, Diego is wise, and his company is changing the world. I felt deeply helped by this conversation, and I hope you will as well. Before we begin, as always, a quick reminder that you can anytime and for any reason email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. You can ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or hate the show, tell me how much you love or hate me, anything really. I just love hearing from you. Okay, and now let's get right into my conversation with the amazing Diego Sayas Gill. Let's go. Uh, Diego, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Nick, for having me. This has been a, a few months coming. I've been right. excited to speak with you for, yeah, quite some time. Your work interests me. How your company tackles the climate issue is very interesting to me. It's not one that I don't think we've explored very much here on the podcast. So I've been really looking forward to this and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Great. I'm excited to tell you about us. Where are you? 
uh, phoning in from today? Where are you calling in from today? Because I feel like you travel I, a lot. And I know you're from South America, and we'll get into that. So where are you today? That's right. I am in South America, indeed. I am in Buenos Aires at the moment. Uh, I am originally from Argentina, not from Buenos Aires. I'm from Tucumán, which is in the north of Argentina. But as it happens right now, I am in Argentina visiting family and friends and also some potential partners for our company. Eh, ¿Qué piensas si empezamos esta conversación solamente en español? Perfecto, lo hacemos en español, aunque la audiencia se reduce. <laughs> we'll, we'll switch back to English, uh, but, but I, I always love to meet someone that I can interact with. Maybe, maybe we can have another conversation another time in Spanish. For sure. I, my, my dad is, is well an immigrant from Guatemala, Central oh, America, cool. and, and I spent 10 years there when I was younger. Amazing. Beautiful yeah. forest in, in Guatemala. So beautiful. You visited? Yes. I have not been in Guatemala. I've been very close in the south of Mexico. Yep. Uh, but definitely is on my list. I do want to go see these amazing Maya pyramids in Guatemala. Yeah, they're truly, truly remarkable that they have withstood the test of time and modernization yeah. and everything else. It's It really is amazing. And it's so cool that today with uh, LiDAR, we have been able to detect that there is so much more than previously thought, right? There's a lot of Mayan uh, constructions that are within inside the forest that now we can detect with LiDAR. Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that because I have no idea how, yes. you know, how that really works. Before we get into, sure. uh, you know, I, I want to I want to talk about a few things today with your company, Pachama and COP26 and really what's yeah. happening in the environment conversation <laughs> today. But let's get to know for you sure. first. I think it'll, it'll be very important for us to, it's always important for me to know where my guests are coming from because I think that it yeah. helps us see why you end up doing the things that you're doing. Um, so totally. as, you've, as you've already stated, you're from Argentina, Argentina. Uh, what was it like growing up there? Because you didn't come to the U.S. until your mid-20s, right? So the, all of That's your right. really formidable years were spent in South America. Yeah. So what, what was it like growing up? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, I grew up in a small town uh, in the north of Argentina. Uh, so as a kid, I would take my bicycle and just, go around town and go outside of the town. And I have two brothers, so we would just play in nature and make stuff. My, my dad is an architect, so we had a bunch of tools and a workshop at home and uh, just had a lot of fun, you know, in a time in which we weren't all the time in front of a computer. Although my household was actually one of the first ones to have a computer in town. And we did get into video games and basic programming uh, as kids. But it was a time in which you had a lot of time to be outside and play with your friends in nature. You said that you were one of the first uh, families to have a computer. What, what, what did your parents do? Why, why did a computer make it into your home You know, before uh, the other homes? Yeah. Yeah. So my mom is a biochemist. My dad is an architect. And my dad was always interested in the latest technologies. Um, and, you know, in fact, yeah, he started designing with CAD programs, uh, with computer system design yep. programs, uh, very early on as an architect. Um, and he, you know, fostered in us also a, a big curiosity for, for the latest technologies. So I think it was that. Are you, where do you fit up in the lineup of your brothers? Are they younger, older? Where do you fit up in that lineup? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Yeah. Okay. 
And yeah. so you were in uh, Argentina until you were 25. What was what was the lead up yeah. to l- leaving Argentina? I think it I think from what I've read it was to just get out and explore the world, right? There's, you know, Argentina's yeah. beautiful, South America's beautiful, but there's a lot of world out there to explore. So tell me about that experience and, and how you ended up, you know, here in the US on the West Coast. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, another thing that was uh, a characteristic of my growing up was that my house was full of books, all sort of books. And those books also, uh, many of them were about geography or, you know, we had a National Geographic book collection with places of the world. And I was always fascinated by all these amazing places that we have in the planet. And they were so far from Argentina, right? Argentina is literally on the bottom of the world, right? And, you know, I was, it's not easy to travel from Argentina. You know, it's, it's expensive uh, and we're not a very rich, you know, country, right? So my family was a middle-class family. It's not that I could travel the world so easily. So the way for me to, to potentially go and see some of these amazing places was to move out of Argentina and the way that I found uh, my way was through applying to a scholarship to do a master's in Spain, in Barcelona. So my first jump was, you know, right after college, uh, I went from, from Tucumán to Barcelona, uh, did my master's there. I got my first uh, real job uh, at a consulting firm and and my adventure started. Um, yeah. What, what was that? So you, you were... You were in this small town in Argentina, yeah. going to the big city. Um, you yeah. know, s- same language, different you know way of speaking it. So, so there wasn't yeah. that much change there. But also, you're you're moving to a completely different culture. What were some of the things that you remember having? Maybe that were a struggle, or that were hard to transition, or was it, or were you already like primed and ready to like adapt wherever you went? It was hard at the beginning. I got to tell you, uh, I arrived. Uh, with just enough money to rent an apartment for one or two months. I miscalculated. I thought that my money was going to, you know, uh, bring me to a longer... Stretch further, yeah, uh, yeah. Stretch longer, yeah. I I thought I was going to get a job right away, but it wasn't that easy. Uh, You know, I remember in Barcelona, they speak Catalan. I didn't speak Catalan, which made it harder for me to, to get a job. So yeah, there were a couple of months of real poverty in, uh, you know, experiencing just having enough to eat um, in, in Barcelona. That was hard. In addition to adapting to a new country, a new culture, not having a lot of friends, not having any family around. So there were some formative uh, times of, uh, you know, experiencing the, the hardness of being a, an immigrant, you know, um, and I'm very grateful for that experience because that experience then gave me the self-confidence that actually I could stand up on my own, that I, I could go and, 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 and face challenges and overcome them and, and come out stronger from the other side. And I think that, that was the lead up to me becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, uh, my dad, under a different set of circumstances, le- left Guatemala when he was a child, and eventually his whole family moved to the U.S. Um, after mm-hmm. some time. But I attribute so much of my, and then and then later on we moved back to where we moved to Guatemala for I was there for ten years. Yeah, and I attribute so much of my tenacity 
and Correct. my my like failure does not phase me. Like it literally right. doesn't hurt at all. I almost right. kind of in a masochistic kind of way like look forward to the next failure because I know that I'm going yeah. to like it's like it's not fun to fail, but it kind of is because yeah. I know I'm going to learn so much from that and pivot and and not do that thing again hopefully, right? And so and I, yeah. and I feel like not that not that kids that not that kids or families that aren't you know that haven't experienced immigration, not that they're soft or lesser than, but I do think there is something special about coming from an immigrant background that yeah. man is so many lessons, right? Like you moving into yeah. this new place, twenty five isn't young, but it's not old. I mean, you're still a right. kid kid in so many ways, right? Beginning to explore yeah. the world, you doing that, I'm sure, just like set you up for, well, you could have, you could have, uh, 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 not learned from that and, you know, lived a life of, of, of ruin and failure after that, just not coming out of it, not, uh, you know, uh, um, yeah, coming out on top, but you chose to come out on top and you pushed through that. Do you remember any, what was the pivot point there? Right. Cause I, I I've experienced those hard times myself, being in a yeah. new place, not knowing what's going to happen, not having nearly yeah. enough money, uh, just not knowing what the next day is going to bring. Yeah. Do you remember if it was a person or a place or a thing that happened that sort of pivoted things for you, changed things for you? You know, one thing I remember is one particular day I was coming back from uh, the university I was doing my master in, and I was going really fast on my bicycle to a job interview. And this is a, the times in which I was broke. So I really needed a job. And I remember I was going so fast that I actually fell from my bike and I hurt my knee and I was bleeding and crying. And I was like, okay, tears, blood. Uh, and you know, uh, what is the, the quote from Winston Churchill? You know, that uh, this is the way that that you can actually achieve great things. And I remember, yeah. you know, uh, thinking to myself, well, this is rock bottom. Um, from here, I can only go up. And granted, actually, that job interview led to, to my first job in Barcelona that then I felt, well, now I have a job. Uh, you know, I'm going to be able to pay my rent. Uh, I'm staying here. You know, I'm not, I'm not coming back home. Amazing. Amazing. You you weren't always uh, an entrepreneur in the climate space, right? And you, it, it, from, from what I know, you've kind of been all over the world as an entrepreneur. What were some of the? Yeah. What are some of the companies or projects that you were, uh, you have been a part of over the last, you know, couple decades? And also, like, how did that lead you? Let's let let's get on the journey now from from Barcelona, first job, right? Getting your master's yeah. degree to the 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 moment where you're saying hey we're going to tackle this specific you know part of this massive climate issue you know through Pachamama. yeah yeah so from barcelona uh, again with bigger self-confidence i decided to make the jump to new york city i was very curious about new york the us and and i arrived to new york again new level of challenge uh, I stay in a hostel uh, for a couple of months in Brooklyn. And from there, I came up with the idea, actually speaking with a friend, uh, of an app that you could use to book hostels. And, you know, I was staying in a hostel. I was coming from Europe of traveling in hostels, and there was no app to book hostels. What, what, year, is this, one, what year is this just for context? This was 2010. 
10 or 2011, yeah, 2011 okay. probably. Yeah. So these yeah. other, these That's other, big, these other big apps that will let you stay different places, they weren't, they weren't like what they are today. Yeah. So keep going. Sorry. Correct. Yeah. The iPhone came out in 2008. So it was quite early on the mobile era. So we built that app, um, you know, it was two years or two or three years of learning how to be an entrepreneur. Uh, we raised a uh, seed round. And, uh, you know, sometime later, we got an offer to buy our app, to buy our, our startup. It was a tiny startup. We were just, you know, we're less than 10 people. Uh, but this uh, bigger uh, student travel company wanted us to be part of their, you know, platform. And we sold the company. And again, it was my first, you know, uh, small success as an entrepreneur, you know, feeling, well, I built something that has value for another company. Uh, it's not a huge win, but but it's my first validation as a founder. Um, and then from there, uh, a new startup idea came to me, which is how come there is not a smart suitcase, right? I was uh, traveling, I lost a suitcase. Uh, I was you know, seeing the rise of the internet of things, smart thermostats, smart watches, and there was not smart luggage, right? So with another friend, we decided to, to build a smart luggage startup. We launched a crowdfunding campaign that was very successful. We got into Y Combinator. I moved from New York to, to California, to Mountain View, to do YC. After that, I moved to Hong Kong to manufacture the products. And, and again, I was in a, in a new, uh, super challenging and fun adventure. Um, and that startup flew quite high until the airlines decided to ban lithium-ion batteries. I know if you remember that when oh, yeah. Samsung phones got on fire. So from one day to another, um, you know, we, we couldn't sell our products anymore. Uh, so we, we got to sell the company because of the you know, uh, patents. Uh, we, we managed uh, a big uh, luggage company to buy that startup as well. Now, on the back of my head, I always was an environmentalist, to be honest. And that company led me to China. And in China, I got to see the pollutions of the big cities, mm, you know, right. Beijing, Shanghai. I got to see how, you know, we have outsourced all the manufacturing to China and, you know, we, we brought all the pollution there. Um, and I got to see how now I was part of the problem in a way, right? Because I was building a company that was, was part of that system. Um, so that led me to sort of a purpose crisis, uh, of, you know, what am I going to contribute to? What do I really want to put my skills and my experience on? And that's what led to, to Pachama. And we can get into the research that I did before getting started, but that was kind of like the set of experiences that got me into my path. I love it. I love it. Before we get to Pachama, I, I think I pronounced it wrong. I was, I had the, I had the, the emphasis on the wrong, you know, part of the where I said Pachama. Either, either way works. Pachama. Um, where did that, so it's a remarkable story again, as an, as an immigrant coming to, you know, going to multiple places where you don't fit naturally and you have to figure out your fit. And then yeah. in the midst of all that, um, you know, everybody, almost everybody maybe every day, at least every week, looks at something and says, that's not right. There needs to be a better version of that. Or this doesn't work. I wish they would do this. But only a small percentage, a very, 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 very small percent of those people actually do something about it. 
right? Everybody's mm -hmm. bitching about like things that don't work and things that need to be better. And a very few people say, I can do that. I don't know how, I don't know what, but I'm going to do that. Where did that come from for you? Because you've done it multiple times at this point. You you were staying yeah. in a hostel. Maybe it was something that you were, maybe it was the process of booking that hostel or transferring from one to the next, whatever it was. You said, this can be done better. We've got these amazing iPhones now. Like, let's, let's figure out how to integrate that. And you did something about it. Then the luggage too, right? You're traveling a ton. You don't want to lose something. This is not working. Something's not working right. And you, you start a luggage company. Where did that, was that... Can you can you point back to again a purpose play, a person place or thing where that began to develop or were you always just a yeah. curious person? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all these life experiences. Again, my my parents uh, fostering creativity and and you know being super supportive of us as kids, letting us build and and fail and and make mistakes. Uh, so I'm super grateful for my parents and for the environment they created for us as kids. And then on myself, on, you know, making the first jump to, you know, Europe from Argentina, becoming an immigrant, that gave me the self-confidence of I can do bold things, right? And yes, I might fail along the way, but I can always stand up again and keep going. And I think it's, it's sort of like uh, you go walking a, a stairway of self-confidence, right? By taking bolder and bolder bets on yourself, right? And realizing that yes, not only is you win, but uh, but at least even even if you fail, uh, you 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 learn, you become, you know, more prepared for the next challenge, right? So I think it's it was that it was a gradual uh, increase of self-confidence. Well, and the more that you, this is the, this is the thing that I, I wish so I wish for people to fail all the time because I know, and you know that the more that you fail, you build up a resistance, right? The more you get, yeah. you know, the more that you get bit by a venomous snake, I have, yeah. I have, I have a friend who lives in Wisconsin. He's been bit by more snakes. Like he's been bit hundreds of times and has, <laughs> bit, has, has built up his resistance so he can get bit yeah. by almost any snake in the world and not die yeah. from it. But that took, yeah him almost dying yeah. a bunch of times along the way. Literally, it's caught on yeah, camera. Yeah. He got bit by this snake and almost died wow. on camera. Like, but, that's... but you make it past that. And now you've done something yeah. that most people aren't willing to do. I I, I took yeah. this, uh, a coach of mine did this uh, predictive index test on me. I don't know if you've heard of the predict predictive index. It's kind of like no. the Enneagram. It's one of those, it's one of those uh -huh. tests that help you figure out. And it's mostly for teams to figure gotcha. out how to work together well. And I came out as, uh, and it wasn't a surprise, but uh, I came out as a maverick who in the uh -huh. three the three top descriptors, um, and it sounds like you, I'm not, I'm not gonna impose maverick on you, but if you ever take sure. the predict predictive index, let me know what you come out as. But I came out as the maverick sure. in the three descriptors. It's, it's very in depth. There's a lot going on, but the three like main, kind of the subtitle for maverick is innovative, Outside the box thinker, undaunted by failure. And I show that to, I show that to my wife, and she was like, "That's it. Like that is that is who you are." Obviously, there's so much yeah. more to that. But if I could pinpoint three things on you, Nick, it's innovative, outside the box thinker, undaunted by failure. Yeah. And I just think I wish undaunted by failure for anybody that's listening. Yeah, you will. You can do bigger and better things. You yeah. will do bigger and better things. 
if you build up a tolerance to failure, keep pushing through it because we don't get, this is what I love to think about in terms of like a, like a race, like hurdles right at the Olympics, except yeah. we're, except we can't see more than five feet in front of us. And so we don't know if the end of the race is after hurdle five or 46 right. or 82 or 126, we don't know. Our job is just to keep jumping over the hurdles, right? And, it, yeah. and, and we don't yeah. know when it's, when our success is going to happen. We just have to yeah. keep going, right? And I love these, yeah. I love these stories because they encourage me yeah. to like, just keep, keep going. You could have, you could have stopped after the hostel app and been like, well, I sold my little company. Now I'm going to go work a nine to five at X company. And you're like, no, I've got more things to, more things to make. Yeah, it's, I think it's very important to maintain a growth mindset. Uh, you can become whatever you want, right? Even if you are not a maverick at the onset of your journey, you can become a maverick, yeah. right? By virtue of just trying and developing the you know, characteristics of a maverick, right? Um, and I got to say something. Failure sucks, right? Failure is not enjoyable. No. Right? Uh, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, again, small failure or a big failure, it, it's painful. Uh, but even the living through that pain is actually part of, of, of the spectrum of the human experience, right? And to me, we're here, life is a, is a school, right? We're here to... To, to learn the entirety of the human experience. And, and, and you know, now, you know, I draw a lot of wisdom from, for example, Buddhism that tells you, you know, you can uh, observe, you know, all the emotions, right? Uh, without uh, attaching yourself to it, right? So, yeah, so yeah, you experience yeah. pain without suffering, right? But uh, just to, just, you know, just to mention, failure sucks. I, you know, um, but but there is light in the other side, and it's it's worth the pain. Yeah, that's a good word. I sometimes uh, fail to remind people, like I wish failure on you, and also it's going to suck super badly. That's a good <laughs> that's a good tag on the end. It's like yeah, it's it's going to suck, but life life sucks, and also we yeah. get through that, and there's like light and hope on the other end. And you yeah. thinking back to like Spain, Barcelona, you could have you know, before that interview been like, this is not working. Like I, the, I, I, I don't have any money. And, and then, yeah. and then even at that, you could have on the way to that interview, you know, as you took that tumble, you could have been like, fuck, like I no more that hurt really bad. I'm not strong enough. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. But yeah. you went to the interview and that, you know, gave you the boost you needed to get to the next thing, the next thing, New York city, you know, yeah. uh, and so on and so forth. So I love that. I love that. Okay. So you mentioned a few minutes ago, the research that led you, right? So you're obviously an outside yeah. the box thinker. You're moving from company to company. Thank God you were able to sell, you know, that luggage company in the midst of a, yeah. key, a key part of the product not working. Um, what was what was the research that led you to start Pajama? Which again, yeah. I'm I'm anxious to learn more because it's I, I I haven't talked to many people that are attacking the climate crisis in this way. A lot of people, yeah. you know, cleaning oceans and this product and yeah. that thing that reduces waste. But you're doing something completely different, which I just love. So, what was the research that you began to you know explore that led you to start the company? Yeah, it actually started on a trip to the Amazon rainforest with my two brothers. So. After the luggage company imploded and we sold to save, you know, whatever was left, uh, I came back to Argentina for Christmas. I told my brothers, guys, I'm totally burned out. 
let's go somewhere, wherever you want. And one of my brothers say, how about we go to the Amazon rainforest, which is here in our backyard. And I was like, sure. And we did a road trip from the north of Argentina. We crossed Bolivia and got into Peru, into the Amazon rainforest, ended up staying with an indigenous community there and incredible life experience as well. But there I saw for the first time deforestation of the Amazon rainforest. You know, and you might have seen those pictures of lush forest and then all of a sudden clear cut and just bare land. Uh, it's quite shocking to see. Very. So I saw that for the first time and I was like, oh my God, we continue to do this. Meanwhile, I was actually reading two books uh, related to climate change. One of them was Earth in Human Hands. The other was Project Drawdown. Uh, two of them pointed to the potential that we have to sequester carbon from the atmosphere by doing mass reforestation of the planet. And I was like, not only we're not doing mass reforestation, we actually continue to destroy this old growth forest that sequester a lot of carbon every year. And that, of course, are the habitat for so many different species and and, you know, it made me think that, yeah, we're not only facing the climate change crisis, we're also facing the biodiversity collapse crisis, right? Um, and so that was kind of like the trigger of curiosity. Uh, I decided to come back to California. I wasn't sure whether I was going to start a new startup because it's just so hard sure. that it was like, well, maybe I'm done. Maybe maybe that, that was it and I'm going to do something else going right. forward. But then I just couldn't stop thinking about the potential that we have to restore forest, the responsibility that we have to protect nature. And the fact that, you know, with these two previous startups, I learned how to raise venture capital, build engineering teams, bring uh, ideas into products, into the market. And, and I was like, well, I have to put all those experiences at the service of this uh, mission that you know feels so important in my heart and so that led me to then do a lot of more scientific research if you want read papers reach out to scientists reach out to experts um, and ask i'm thinking of this idea what do you think and that also helped me gain the confidence that i could do it because again i was in the face of something totally outside of my comfort zone Another, I mean, there's so many good uh, nuggets that you're dropping here and, and just, it's not, I don't think you're doing anything extraordinary. You're just telling your story. Right. And, and I, I love this, this idea of, so I'm a big explorer as well. I've spent time in 30 ish countries and I grew up overseas and I, I don't feel comfortable living here in the U S I don't know how you feel. Like I feel fine living here. We, we live mm. in New York city, this amazing city where it's super global and super diverse and yeah. It's it's wonder it's one of my favorite cities in the entire planet. Definitely, this my favorite one in the world or in, here in the U.S. But I don't yeah. feel comfortable here because I just I just constantly want to, like I I feel so comfortable getting on a plane, going to somewhere I've never been before. Like at this point in my life, that right. that feels the most comfortable. So you you know on the verge of burnout, go on this trip with your brothers. You have to see it to believe it, right? Yeah, you, correct. You you, you could have. Maybe you could have read an article 
Um, it gets a little more real when you watch, you know, video footage, a documentary or something like that, where you see the deforestation happening. But there's nothing like standing there and experiencing what's what yeah. we're, what we're doing to you know the biggest forest on the planet, right? I mean, we are. <laughs> if we keep up this pace, I had. Yeah, um, I don't know if you know who. Uh, do you know Pedro Andrade? He's a he's a South American TV Isabel, host. But... Yeah, yeah. So he's oh, from yeah, he's yeah. from from Brazil, and he he just he just did first season of uh, of this show. I think they're doing another season. It just won some you know big award. It's called Unknown Amazon, and a lot Amazing. of the 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 topic, a lot of the topics that they're addressing are related to the climate. And he addresses the deforestation. And we were talking uh, mm-hmm. this past summer on the podcast, and he was talking about like if we keep this up, we are just and you would know the numbers better than I do, but if, if we don't slow this down and or stop it, which stopping it just seems so Im- impossible at this point. But mm-hmm. the, de- the 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 pace of the deforestation right now is atrocious, and also if we don't stop it, the Amazon will eventually be uninhabitable, right? Because we're, yeah. we're we're literally kicking out all of these animals and these species and these these and people that have been there longer than any of us have been a lot. You know, they've been there for so long. So you have to like experience it, and this is why I advocate go on adventures. I, I'm all for the power of social media. I think it's great, but it's like, okay, at some point you got to stop watching like stupid TV and, you know, be on TikTok for three hours and you got to go read a fucking book and you've got to go book that ticket to the place you've never been before. And like, you've got to get outside of yourself and this experience you've always had, because maybe you would not be where you are today if you had not gone on yeah. that trip to see it and experience it and feel it and be like, oh my God, what are we doing we've got to do something about this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a couple of, of comments on, on what you said. First, yes, the Amazon rainforest and other rainforests, such as the Congo Basin Forest and the Borneo Forest, but, but the Amazon in particular, that's under so much pressure for deforestation, has something that few people know, I didn't know at least, that the Amazon rainforest produces rain through perspiration, transpiration of the trees. It produces clouds. Those clouds then move huge volumes of water from one part of the continent to the other. And in doing so, fertilizes the land that then we use to grow food for people, not only in South America, but around the world. So when we destroy the forest, we also destroy this machine of cloud production, right? So that is another thing that is super worrying in addition to climate change and there there are tipping points there are scientists that are studying what is a tipping point of no return and they have estimated that for the, for the amazon rainforest is 25 percent and right now we are at 17 percent so if we cross 25 percent deforestation then we start this kind of uh positive feedback loop in which less rain means less water for the trees to grow and therefore desertification or they call savanization, we could end up with an Amazon rainforest that is just patches of forest. And and we don't even know what the consequences for the biosphere of the entire plant as a whole can uh, mean. Uh, so it's super important. Bottom line, incredibly, incredibly important to protect and restore the Amazon rainforest because I think we have to revert what we did. And we actually are starting some reforestation projects in Brazil at the moment, 
because I think that what we had to do is to just push back uh, to what we've been doing. Now, I can get into the, into the details of the Pachama platform, but before that, yes, I agree with you that there's nothing like going there and experiencing it. Um, not necessarily everybody has to go to the Amazon rainforest, but you can go to your local forest and just understand the complexity of a forest ecosystem, the beauty of those uh, ecosystems, and, and you can you just get to see the carbon being sequestered in real time, right? Uh, these giant trees, for example, in California, where I live now, you get you know to see the redwood trees and how much carbon they sequester is amazing. Yeah. And it, yes, that's a great point because not everybody can. I mean, it's a very privileged thing and I, I count myself very blessed. It, it, it wasn't because I come from a lot of money. My parents were poor. I'm one of 12 kids. Sure. Like there was no money, but I figured out, I, I, I wiggled my way into projects and work and different things. I've actually never, I've never paid for any of those international flights that I've been on. Right. Like all those trips were paid for. So somehow I did that. So it's not even, I understand that not everybody can do that, but we can all, there, there are enough shows documentaries, books, resources at our disposal that it is, and this is our planet. There is no, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those like we're really weird, stupid things to say, but there's no planet B like this is it. This is the one that we get. Correct. Correct. And so every single one of us needs to figure out, not every one of us is going to start a company. Not every one of us is going to figure out how to do this big, heady idea like sequestering carbon. And not every one of us is going to do that. Not everyone's going to start a, a company that's like cleaning up the oceans and saving this and doing that. But we can all grow in knowledge. We can all figure out what our part is to play. I had, and I'll quote her later, but I, I had uh, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe on the podcast recently, and she's another mm -hmm. amazing climate scientist. And, and, I had, I had a moment in, in that conversation where I just, I kind of like burst out. Like, I understand that people, there's so many things to attack and address and so many things to like so many issues to attack, not in a bad way, but like so many things to go after there are, our, our justice system is fucked. Like our, there's so many things to yeah. go after, right? People that are experiencing homelessness, we need to house them. We need to give them food, uh, income inequality, so many things, but the most yeah. important one is the climate. Because if we address, right. if we fix everything else, if everyone has money in their bank accounts and everyone yeah. is getting paid what they should be getting paid, minimum wage, 24 bucks an hour. If, if we're living in this new utopia where there's, you know, we've, we've virtually eradicated inequity when it comes to finances and all that stuff, but we haven't addressed yeah. the climate issue. There is no, yeah. there is no planet for our kids, our, my kids as kids to live on in 2050, Correct. in 2060. So this is so important. Yeah, to me, it's a, it's a mother of all challenges, right? Uh, Earth, the biosphere, is a substrate in which humanity and civilization exist, right? So all human and civilization problems can only be solved as long as we have a substrate on which to do it, right? And we are getting close to the limits of what our planet can support. Um, so the climate crisis is just one of the consequences of how we've been running civilization. And you mentioned documentaries. I really recommend the last David Attenborough uh, documentary called Breaking Boundaries. It's on Netflix, I believe. And, uh, you know, it, it's very concerning how we're reaching limits, right? And I understand, in a way, 
we needed to provide a prosperous living for people around the world. And, and, and that's been the driver of our industrial civilization, right? It's not that we destroy nature because we're evil. We destroy nature because we just want to put food in our tables and want to have more nice things, right? But now we need to raise awareness. We need to uh, realize that we can only continue to develop as a civilization, as a humanity, if we are aligned with nature. If we don't see nature as a resource to exploit, but actually as the substrate of which we are part of and with which we have to be in balance and in harmony with. 100% agreed. So now talk about, let's get specific here. Um, and you'll be teaching me a lot here because I, 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 I'm, I'm very interested to hear how this actually works and how I can get involved. Sure. What exactly does Pachama do? How how, do, how yeah. does how does this work? I mean, it's it's a big idea to say we're sequestering carbon, and I saw this tweet this morning uh, that you shared yeah. just a, just a few minutes ago about um, yeah. about you know this new project. I think you said we're about to start a new native re reforestation in Brazil. Right now, the team is doing drone lidar scanning to establish a super accurate carbon baseline. P.S. All this will one day be a forest again, which is just amazing to think about because the pictures attached to that tweet just empty. It's just vast, right? Vast openness. And the idea of that'll be a forest someday. So talk about how this yeah. happens and what in your contribution to it. Yeah. So as we mentioned before, forests are a critical element of sequestering carbon and keeping carbon on the ground. Uh, as we move away from fossil fuels, which is something that we absolutely need to do in the next two decades, as we do that, we need to start sequestering CO2 from the atmosphere to rebalance the carbon cycle of our planet, right? So what is the blocker to reforest and protect forests? We need to pay people to do it, right? Uh, we know how to plant trees. It's not a new technology, right? The technology is actually the photosynthesis that trees produce to sequester carbon. So there is these different frameworks uh, by which companies and governments can send funding to projects that are reforesting or protecting forests uh, as part of their net zero plans, right? Carbon offsetting is one of those frameworks, but there are many other frameworks that are being designed as we speak, coming out of the COP, the United Nations COP26. Uh, and unfortunately, the problem until recently was that if you're a corporation and you want to send money to a reforestation project in another corner of the, of the world, it's kind of difficult to trust those projects, right? You're sending money to Brazil, to Indonesia, to Congo. Uh, how do I know that the carbon accounting that I'm presented with is correct? Right. In the other side, you're a landowner in Brazil or Indonesia or Congo. You learn that you can get payments for reforestation or carbon or, or forest protection, but it's incredibly bureaucratic and difficult to get those carbon credits that then you can sell to these companies to get the funding to do the reforestation and conservation. And the reason there is lack of trust in the demand side and there is bureaucracy on the supply side is because we weren't using technology, mm. right? Everything until now was done in a very manual way, right? So our idea was to build a technology platform that could help bring efficiency 
transparency, um, trust to the system. And in doing so, help drive way more funding to reforestation and conservation, making it easier for all size, all types of landowners uh, to participate in carbon markets. So the technologies that we use are satellite images and artificial intelligence that can analyze that satellite uh, data uh, in big volumes in real time, and then use that data to determine with high accuracy what is the carbon that is actually being sequestered by a forest, and then use that data to provide trust to the companies and governments that want to invest in nature, and then to reduce the work that is needed by the projects that want to participate in this in this market. A simple way to put it, I like to say that we want to be like the Airbnb of the forest, right? Airbnb connects a traveler from one part of the world with you know, a house owner in another corner of the world and they do it with trust, which was unthinkable before Airbnb, right? So we want to build a platform that makes it equally easy for a company in the US or Europe to trust a landowner in Brazil or Indonesia or anywhere in the world uh, that is going to be sequestering carbon by protecting and restoring a forest. The implications of this are massive. So what exactly is, um, what's happening? So what's happening actually in real time? Like, how, how, how is it going? How far into this venture are you? And what are some of the things that you've been, as you're connecting all these dots, which is essentially what you're doing in a really beautiful and impactful way, what, what's been going on? What, what's the work actually look like? Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we first had to start by building an incredible team that combines forest science, machine learning, engineering, data science, and build the tool, right? Uh, this is not a trivial thing to do, no. to be able to ingest satellite data, LIDAR data, drone data from a lot of different sources, fuse all that data into one single uh, pipeline, and then be able to build artificial intelligence models that then can help us predict how much carbon is there on a forest? What is the history of that forest? What is the deforestation risk? What is the fire risk? All those are things that we're still building. We've been around for three years and, and we still have so much to do to, to build that uh, predictive engine of forest carbon globally. What are, what are so some of the first step? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. No, that was the first step. Uh, we made tremendous progress, and I believe that today we are uh, one of the teams with the most advanced uh, technologies to do that. And the first application of that was to go to all the existing forest projects that have carbon credits to sell in the market and to say, look, we invite you to our platform. That means that we're going to monitor and verify the carbon of your projects, and we're going to help you with this enhanced data uh, get more backers for your projects. And with that, we managed to get incredible corporations that uh, are seeking for high quality carbon credits to support those forest projects on our platform. We also made it super easy for anyone. You ask, how can you get involved? We made it super easy for anyone to go to our website and support these projects by buying carbon credits that come from these high quality forest carbon projects that we have verified and that we continue to monitor 
with our data. And now we're getting into a new thing, which is how, okay, we're helping all these projects that already have current credits sell more, right? And gain trust in the market. How can we help new projects to exist? How can we help new landowners go from zero to carbon credits and then to, to the market, right? So that they can focus on their work, which is reforesting, conserving forest. And we hopefully take care of all the complexities of collecting the data and getting the backers. Um, and, and there's so much to do. There are 2 billion hectares available for reforestation in the world, right? So a very, very long way to go, but 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 we have great wind in the back, fortunately. Yeah, amazing. Like, what are the big, as you look as you look ahead, and what's standing between now and you all becoming the go-to company to work with in this space, the household name when it comes to we want to offset yeah. our you know our carbon or and we want to buy carbon credit like. What stands? What What are the challenges there? Because again, you mentioned there are other companies doing this. I know of some of them. You sure. probably know of so many more. Sure. Um, yeah. Is it Is it just? I mean, because it's not really. It's kind of interesting too. It's not really competition again. Because the the goal, the the primary goal is not to become the 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 best company yeah. doing this. It's to make sure we don't burn up in thirty years. <laughs> exactly. But you still want to leave an impact and you want to become, yeah. I would assume you want to be the best at what you're doing in this space. Um, so what, yeah, yeah, what are some of the challenges you see ahead between now and a few years from now when you guys are, when everybody yeah. thinks of doing this company's project, it's like, well, well, let's go to Diego. Yeah. A couple of comments. I a hundred percent agree with you. The competition here is against climate change. The competition is against uh, the sources of deforestation, right? It's not against each other. I, I'm very vocal on Twitter about the importance of collaboration on climate tech, um, and and I am, you know, friends with many of the other companies and startups that are working on similar problems. I think that we have to collaborate, and then at the same time, we have to kind of compete just to become, you know, better and better. So for the benefit of the planet, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think what will it take for us to be the go-to place? I hope that we're starting to become the go-to place for the highest quality nature-based solutions, but I think that we still need to continue improving our tools. We're going to be sharing very soon more about the protocols that we're developing to, uh, verify and monitor carbon and forest. We need to continue growing our team with incredible people. That's why 30% of my time, I spend it recruiting the most amazing people in the world that want to work on this problem. Uh, we need to continue uh, collecting data because the more data that you have, the, more, the better the algorithms become, right? Um, so I think that is, is about, it's about that. It's about keep doing what we're doing, um, and, and I think that over time, you know, we have a flywheel that is turning and turning. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Jim Collins concept of the flywheel yep. that Great you just have to Great turn concept. it and turn it. Yep. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, you create an enormous value, right? But it's about having the persistence of just pushing and pushing that flywheel. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So, uh, um, I, I was thinking about it as I was thinking about this conversation and now even more. 
So right now, I'm in the middle of pitching a uh, a more developed TV show version of the podcast, right? We've been storytelling on the podcast. Awesome. And, and now we're pitching a TV show. And it, the, the pitches are going well. It's a very complicated process, and it's super slow, and it's not on my timeline, or else we would have already done two seasons. But it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. It's everything, sure. right? And there's a lot of competition for making content right now in the TV space uh, with all these streaming platforms. But one thing I told my small team that I recruited to do this with me, they're not getting paid right now. We're all hoping that something happens. But I told them, I said, when we're making this show, and I know this is a small thing, but I think it's this kind of thinking that has to start taking place in small projects and big companies alike. Is I said, yeah. I said, weren't like people on the show, this idea of let's give a damn, everybody knows that I care about the climate. You know, in our home, we compost and we try to buy as few products as possible that have, you know, it's kind of hard to avoid, but, you know, as little plastic as possible, you know, we're, when it comes to the clothes, we buy everything. We're trying to just insert this with our, you know, we have three kids and they're already thinking about it. And so we're trying to do as much as we can. And even on the show, like I said, we've had tons of conversations about how to attack this climate crisis, our climate crisis. So it would be, it would be integ like there would be no integrity in making a show. And then behind the scenes, the crew, you know, we have tons of like plastic water bottles and we're not offsetting our carbon emissions. And, you know, right. I, we're, we're vegan. I'm like, we're, I don't care how you all feel about the show. Like this is my concept and I'm the host of the show. So there will be no animal products ever consumed in the making of the show because it would be hip hypocritical of me to then, you know, get on the show and talk about how we attack the climate crisis. Uh, but then the crew backstage is eating like, you know, hamburgers and stuff and, and we're, you know, yeah. whatever. So no plastic, no animal products, all this stuff. But I was thinking about like how to, we also, we're also going to be smart about how we travel, but you know, a traveling TV show, like it's a lot of, sure. it's a lot of everything. So would this be a good partnership, right? When this thing sort of takes place, is there a way for us to work together? to yeah. offset what we're doing. And again, we're trying to do as little as possible, but it's still happening. Just just living today, you, you're, you're causing destruction and wreaking havoc in some way. It's so hard to avoid that. Um, yeah. So yeah, would that, would that be an idea of something where people can get creative and be like, yeah, I can partner with Pachama on this? Yeah, I mean, that is the whole idea of carbon offsetting, right? Which is being very honest with ourselves about the fact that we do have a footprint, right? Even if you try to be incredibly thoughtful about reducing your footprint, there is still a footprint, yep. right? Even if you buy an electric car, you're still charging that car with electricity and you don't control the energy grid, right? right. Unfortunately, we're not going to have uh, electric airplanes are coming, uh, but they're going to take you know some years for us to have intercontinental electric airplanes, right? Yeah. So we are going to have a carbon footprint from here to the next few decades. And then what people, what, you know, the United Nations, what uh, many experts uh, propose is we have to take care of those emissions. We have to compensate those emissions. We have to remove the carbon that we are continuing to put in the atmosphere. And some are going one step farther. Uh, for example, Microsoft and many other companies are saying, you know what, we're going to compensate the historical carbon that we put in the atmosphere in the last three decades, right? So that is the idea of 
then saying, well, you know what? Are you going to destine a budget to support carbon removal projects uh, or carbon offsetting projects? And what we say is that's great. Now we have to make sure that you invest in the right projects. Yep. That one ton of carbon that you compensate actually represents one ton of carbon. And we're going to select forest projects that have that integrity uh, accounting and that then you can confidently say, you know what, I actually have compensated the emissions of my, of my uh, activity. So yes, I would love to explore how we can make uh, the compensation of that documentary of that series and, and make sure that it has a climate positive impact in addition to, of course, the impact that it's going to have with the storytelling. Totally. Totally. I mean, that's the, a, a key thing that I hope that you all are going to bring to this conversation is it's the trust factor, right? I, I was buying a plane ticket. Uh, I think this was right before yeah. the, right before the, uh, pandemic started, um, when I was traveling a lot more than I am now. And, um, there was like a, there was, I forget which airline I was even flying with, but there was a box saying, Hey, like pay this much extra to offset your carbon. And like, not one part of me wanted to do that because I have no idea if that's actually happening. Like I know what the CEO of that company is making and it's more than I've, than, (laughs) than the the hundred people around me have made in their lifetime. Right. And so I'm like, no, where's this go? Is it, is every penny of me checking this box actually going to that? So there's this trust factor that you are bringing to the conversation where you're bringing integrity to this and you're bringing, I think you're bringing clarity as well, because again, this is a, your your common everyday person that's, you know, just getting by, you know, making 15, 20, 30 bucks an hour. Like they're, uh, are you, are you drinking yerba mate? That's right. I'm drinking a mate. Yes. I miss, I miss mate. I had a, I had a friend growing up from Argentina. Actually, he just, I haven't talked to him for 15 years. I knew him when we lived in Guatemala and he just hit me up for the first time in 15 years the other day. And he, he, he introduced me when I was, you know, just a teenager to mate and I have never gotten over it. I love it so much. It's the best uh, replacement of coffee. Yeah. And there are people who are growing it with agro forestry uh, in a very sustainable way. So it's pretty cool. Amazing. But yeah, sorry. No, we're, no, no. We're going off. No, I'm, I, I went off on the rabbit trail there. I saw you lift up your, your uh, metal straw there. Um, where was I? What was I saying? I just lost my train of thought. We were talking about the fact that common people uh, yeah, go about the life. They don't have the time to go and check whether this claim is true or not. They you need, have to provide they the need trust to, to them. You have to provide the trust with it that when they, if, if, if we get to the point where it's like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll click the $20 and 50 cents box, right. To offset my carbon. Yeah. Like mean, I would do that every single time. I'm already spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on a plane ticket. It's easy to click that button. If I know that's where the money's going, but we don't have the luxury of having that trust right now because so many people in power, like have screwed us over too many times. Right. And so we've got to build, we've got to build trust into this climate conversation. Yeah. And I think if trust is built, people will open their wallets. They will go above and beyond because we all want a yeah. planet for our kids as kids in 40 years. Like we just do. I agree. I agree hundred percent. And unfortunately there were uh, instances in the past in which these carbon offsets that you were buying actually didn't represent what they were supposed to represent. That happened in the past, mostly because of lack of tools. It wasn't 
evil, it was just incompetence or you know lack of tools to ensure the, the the integrity and the impact of these of these frameworks. But now we have these technologies, we have the satellite data, we have the artificial intelligence to do the measurements, we have the internet to directly connect the projects and the backers of the projects, right? And and we have you know a realization that if we don't if we don't hold the highest sense of integrity and responsibility in these frameworks, we're actually making huge damage to the planet, mm -hmm. right? So one of our core values at the company is integrity, and 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 you know we want to make sure that that people can trust us, and we're going to put the best of the data and the technology out there to bring awareness about what these projects actually are doing. And I got to tell you, it's not easy because many of these projects, it's not easy to stop deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. It's not easy to calculate carbon on a forest. These are very complex ecosystems. So people are trying their best and we always are going to try to represent uh, to our customers these projects in the best possible way. It's not going to be perfect because uh, ecosystems are incredibly complex and data is not perfect. But, uh, you know, I think that that is the aim. The aim is that not only, you know, normal people walking about their life, but corporations that are going to be investing big budgets can actually trust these frameworks and that the money that they decide to invest in compensating their carbon footprint actually goes to protecting and restoring key ecosystems. Um, yeah. I love it. So I want to talk about, COP26. We're going to not talk about Pachama anymore. Yeah. I mean, we will throughout, but like that, that was a really helpful, like primer on who you are and what you do. Everybody link in the show notes or P-A-C-H-A-M-A.com. Uh, go check it out. The website's super helpful. I mean, it's really easy to navigate and it, you explain super well there who you are and what you do. Um, but you're, you're, you're in the climate space and we just finished, um, or, you know, last week, uh, two weeks of COP26. COP26, of course, is the United Nations Climate Change Conference. takes place every year, except it didn't during the pandemic. Um, and this year was in Scotland. Uh, two weeks, October 31 to November 13. Um, let's get into it this way. I have been kind of navigating my way through all sorts of comments and feedback. Uh, I've been I've followed your uh, you know, feedback throughout it. And after the fact, I mentioned Dr. Catherine Hayhoe earlier, uh, professor in, down at, uh, in Texas and uh, an amazing climate scientist, her feedback and a lot of other people and kind of weighing that against, you know, uh, other people, uh, who I yeah. equally admire like Greta Thunberg, right. And young activists like that. Right. And so we've got this yeah. conference. Some would say another climate conference, what are we doing as a result, right? And so I, I love this tweet from uh, Catherine, the day that it ended, that COP26 ended. She said, is COP26 enough? No. Did we expect it to be enough? I sure didn't. This is a more ambitious effort to work together than anything we humans have ever, ever accomplished. But is it more than we had two weeks ago? Yes. And, there, and, that's, and there's a lot more to be done, so let's get on with it. And you tweeted something similar yeah. uh, that day yeah. as well. But then you also had... Uh, people like Greta who showed up, you know, and she rallied people outside and basically like shit on the whole event. 
you know, yeah. s- saying that it's not enough. This is just a bunch of theater. It's a bunch of, you know, she said we need yeah. an immediate a drastic because a lot of these, this is something that young people can't wrap their heads around. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes yeah. I, I'm not super young anymore, yeah. but I can as well, where it's like, we're talking a lot of these numbers that we're throwing out 10, 20 years. You mentioned it earlier. We've got to like eradicate fossil fuels in the next couple yeah. decades. And yeah. my overly ambitious, probably mostly naive in this area. Yeah. My thinking is like tomorrow, like let's, let's, let's down ramp things tomorrow, next week, next month. Like why are we still using these things? So I, I go back and forth as I mature, I go back and forth between like reading Catherine's, you know, tweet and saying, yes, it's, it's better than we had last week. Let's keep going. Let's keep working together. And then I also identify with the Greta Thunbergs and the young activists. She wasn't the only one there. Other amazing activists, Vanessa Nakate from Uganda, she was out there saying the same things, you know, Africa is only responsible for 3% of global emissions. And yet Africans are suffering some of those brutal impacts fueled by the climate crisis, right? These are all facts. These are all things that we know. I go back and forth. Talk to me. I'll interject here and there, but give me your, uh, you were obviously following it super closely. Um, what are what are you thinking now? A week after it's all it's all done. Yeah. What are your thoughts on COP twenty six? Where did it where did it hit the mark? Where did it miss the yeah. mark? What do we do from here? Yeah, I am of the position that this was great progress and clearly is nearly not enough. Right? Uh, is uh, what Greta and the activists are pointing out that. This is a climate emergency. The house is on fire. When the house is on fire, what you have to do is stop everything immediately and address the fire. I agree with that sentiment. On the other side, I also recognize this is gathering 197 countries with their local problems, poverty, inequality, health, education, economy, inflation, and having them agree on a set of um, measures that they all have to take, 197 representatives negotiating together uh, into one document that then they had to go back and implement in their countries and in their corporations, it's not easy, right? So I actually applaud all the work that people inside of COP were doing, working really, really hard to to find alignment between all these nations. It's an unprecedented thing, you know, in the history of humanity, that not only we are not in war with each other, which was the norm in the history of humanity, we're actually all sitting together around a table saying, we have a problem, we have a crisis, let's agree on how we solve it. That to me is already not to be taken for granted. It's huge. Now, specifically, what things I am happy about with the results of the COP and what things I'm not so happy Things I'm happy, nature was now at the forefront, at the center of the discussion. It used to be that in these uh, climate discussions, they talk a lot about fossil fuels, which, yes, is the main thing, but they forgot nature, right? Yep, yep. But in this one, there was a lot of conversations about nature. There was a pledge to end deforestation by 2030, which, again, is not enough. We should stop deforestation right now. Right. But, again, 100 countries came together and committed to stop deforestation. There's a recognition that deforestation is a problem. There's a recognition that nature can provide a solution. And there were 
more than $20 billion pledged to, to restore and protect nature. That makes me happy. Number two thing that makes me happy, the US and China signed a surprise agreement saying that they are going to collaborate to half emissions to, to end uh, coal and a lot of other important things, right? It's very vague, the, the statement, but again, it's the two biggest polluters, the two biggest emitters who until recently, remember, we had Donald Trump in the US uh, saying that China is the enemy. Now we have China and the US sitting together and saying, we recognize that climate is an emergency and we have to work together to it. That was also to me very important. Another thing was great. From now on, COPs are going to happen every year, and every year there's going to be an update to these agreements. So this is not set on stone. In 2022, we're going to come together again, and the ambitions are going to be racing again, right, as countries go back and find ways to implement these measures, right? And as the public continues to demand their politicians to, to do something about it. So, you know, of course, things are, are disappointing. You know, we all expect a... Uh, Kind of a ban on coal. Coal is the biggest, you know, uh, you know, source of CO2 emissions, uh, and that didn't happen. We wanted more ambitious pledges to get to 1.5 degree uh, warming, and right now the pledges get us to under two, but but not under 1.5, right? Um, so, yes. It was not perfect. Again, I wasn't expecting uh, it to be perfect. I think it was a step forward and we had to recognize that. And now we need to push everyone to implement because it's not just about making pledges, it's about implementing. And implementation is not just gonna happen from governments, right? That's why I believe the role of entrepreneurship is really important. And of course, the role of activism is also super important. We need activists to continue to raise their voices. We need kids to tell their parents, I want a planet as beautiful as the one that you got when you were born. So I applaud Greta and all the activists of the world. They had to continue their work, but we also have to uh, support the work of solutionists, people who are building on solutions, who are building technologies and the frameworks and the tools to be able to implement all those measures. And yeah, again, I think it's an all-hands-on-deck yeah. type of situation, um, and we have to be pragmatic, we have to be optimistic, and we have to keep pushing forward. It's it's like most things in life. This is a both-and, not either-or, right? I saw so many, you know, quote-unquote, like, this, the smarter, the elite class, the smart, the scientists and the climate this and the that were you know, essentially like publicly like shitting on Greta for her anger and her, you know, and I'm like, the response you just gave is the response I hope we can all move forward with, which is we need all of that. We can't like, so this is, this is the the thing I do understand about Greta's like anger is that all of these people in power just got together, right, for 14 days in in these rooms and they talked and they went back and forth and they did this and they made some good pledges and they didn't pledge about these things. And then just a few days after that, you know, when Biden was running for president, he publicly on many occasions said, I oppose all new offshore drilling. A complete opposite. He made fun of Donald Trump and said, ah, look at that fool, I'll never do that. And then the headline, yeah. the headline yesterday, Biden administration will hold U.S.'s largest offshore drilling auction days after COP26. So this is yeah. 
this is what keeps happening. This is why Greta is super pissed off is because everybody yeah. gets in a room, says, this is what we're going to do. And like, you just, you just ended your last little monologue saying now the work is holding people accountable, holding people's you know feet to the fire and saying, you said you were going to do this. Let's keep going. Yeah. And, and in addition, it's entrepreneurs yeah. saying entrepreneurs and inventors. And I, I you know, I ideators saying, yeah. Listen, we cannot just leave the government to do this because the government Correct. by and large just fucks up most of the stuff that they say that they're going to do. And they, <laughs> they do a few things well and most things poorly. Right. But we need governments. Right. So I'm not saying get rid of the government. I am saying we can't wait around for them to fix our climate crisis. And then right. we need the Greta's and the, you know, the, the, who else did I, the Vanessa's and the other, you know, young activists yeah that honestly don't know any better. And I love them for it, right? Like they don't have, yeah. the, they don't have the yeah. maturity. Greta doesn't have the maturity to become a solutionist, right? She doesn't, she right. knows her stuff. She's obviously not coming at it from a, from a, a place of ignorance. She has read and she studied yeah. and she's talked. She is well-versed and she knows her shit, but she doesn't yeah. know how to, she, she's not actually doing it. She's maybe someday she'll start right. a company and she'll actually right. attack it. Her role right now is to get into the megaphone, yeah. get in the microphone yes. and say, everybody, wake up. The house yeah. is burning. Don't act like Correct. it's not. What are you going to do now? Right? Like that's her job. Yeah. And then there's the Diego's that are saying, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm We're, we're going to work really hard to sequester carbon and we're going to work really hard to fill the 2 billion hectares that are not, you know, that are, that need forests. And then I, governments are going to you know, st stumble upon along the way and try to do what they're going to do. And it truly is an all hands on deck situation, right? Yeah. 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 And people at governments, there are, I know many people that work at government departments, they're trying their best too. you know, bureaucracies, governmental bu bureaucracies are, you know, 19th century institutions, right. Yes. That we haven't updated. And we saw how democracy is so fragile, right? Recently in the US and yeah. in Argentina, I'm very familiar with the perils of, you know, uh, bad institutions. There are many good people there and we need them there working really hard, taking the shit uh, of critics, but yeah. they are also trying to transform these institutions from inside. The same with corporations, right? It's so easy to point fingers to corporations. I talk to sustainability teams at corporations every week and you have heroes and some heroes at these corporations trying to push these companies to transform their businesses to reduce emissions and to and to be climate positive so yeah i agree with you all hands on deck everybody has a, a role to play uh i happen to also believe that if you're a teenager anger is justified if you're an adult Anger is not the right emotion. The right emotion is um, active hope, uh, which is a, a concept that Joanna Macy's talks about, which is, okay, it's hope, but action, right? It's not, I hope everything is going to be fine. I trust, every no, it's, are you going to build the, the world that I want to be part on? I take full responsibility of my role on world creation, and, and I'm going to go and act with hope because if you don't have hope, you just give up, right? Um, so that's also something that I, I, I try to spread. I, I almost interrupted you a second ago to, in, to tell you to stop, stop preaching at me, stop yelling at me.
because I, I am, uh, my, in fact, one of my partners on the TV show, she was texting me the other day and she says, um, she goes, I think we're just going to start calling you the angry liberal. Like I, I have a lot of hope, but I also have an enormous amount of anger for those in power that willingly, not ignorantly, we know what's going on, whether, whether it's in the, whether it's in the criminal legal system, whether it's in the climate conversation, whether it's, uh, whatever, whatever we're talking about, I have unbridled anger for them. And yeah, I think to some extent it's merited. Yeah. Yeah. But you're so right. This is, this is my lesson in my late thirties. The, the lesson that I am trying to really embody and I'm trying to transform. I mean, I, I, I believe, I'll tell you this. Um, I believe that what I've been building with let's give a damn and with other projects, I believe it would, yeah. I believe at this point I would have been way more effective and I would have built something bigger if yeah. I would have approached it with more hope mm. instead of, instead of just sometimes just anger. Yeah, look, I think that sometimes anger is a necessary emotion to get you to act, right? You know, if you see, you know, someone, I don't know, kicking a puppy on the street, you get angry, right? And you go and you protect the puppy, right? It's, it's, it's an emotion that activates you. But what I think is important is to not stay in that emotion yeah. too long, right? Yeah. It's, it's just, a, it's just the, the spark to act, but then you need to move past anger into, into action, and you are acting, you know, you, I, I do think you're an example of active hope, right? You're, you're, you're here building these, you're trying to do a series. That's what we need. Um, and, and again, I, I think that anger and Aristoteles would say this, uh, anger is not bad. You just have to use it in the right amount at the right time. Yeah. Right. I think, uh, I think you're so right. Well, for an example, right now we are less than 48 hours away from the government, the, 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 the governor of Oklahoma committing an act yeah. of state sanctioned murder against Julius Jones. Julius Jones mm. has been in prison for over 20 years. It is, it has been proven over and over and over again that he is innocent. I mean, there have literally been people that have bragged that they committed the murder. Mm. He's he literally is going to be put to death tomorrow unless governor Stitt, you know, rescinds that and, and exonerates him again. All the evidence is pointing that way to me. This is a time the, these 72 hours. I mean, we've been talking about it for years, but these 72 hours, it's a perfect time to get angry at the powers that be for not right. doing the right thing. It is so clear, so right. obvious. If they put this man to death, the death penalty is always state-sanctioned murder. But in this case, it's just willful. You are executing this person and taking away their life. You've already taken away half their life. You're taking away their life. But with an issue like the climate, yeah. that is going yeah. to take decades to change. It is going to take decades yeah. to move the ball down the field. It. I wish we could stop deforestation tomorrow, but 2030 yeah. is more realistic because we're, it's this huge monstrosity of a system that yeah. has been going on for forever. Um, and so we need less anger or, or let's leave yeah. that to, let's, like you said, let's leave that to the Greta's and the Vanessa's and these young activists that don't know any better. They are entitled to want their kids and their kids' right. kids to have a planet to live in. And you and yeah. I, as mature adults, we need to be angry when necessary, but spend most of our time in this in this idea of actionable hope. We can we are yeah. hopeful that this can change. 
and we need to do something about it now. Um, because yeah. the anger, it feels good. It feels good for me, but what does it do? It just right. pisses, it pisses me off, pisses everybody else off. Now they're on the edge of their seats for what? Like, what did we actually do about it? Um, so good. Yeah. Good work. And as, uh, as, uh, Yoda taught us on Star Wars, anger leads to the dark side of the force, oh, right? Does it ever? <laughs> so instead, you know, I, I, I think that love is a better emotion. You know, I, I tried to be driven by the love I have for this planet, for humanity, for the forest, for the animals, for the birds. And I, you know, for future generations that I want them to enjoy this wonderful planet. And I think that, that is an emotion that fills you with creativity. Now you have ideas and you you have the energy to inspire others to join you to go and build the solutions that are needed, right? That's, you know, I think that the more effective energy than anger. I love it. Let's wrap up this way. This has been super incredible, and I hope we can do it again at some point. I really mean that. There's probably you know so much more to talk about. Likewise, man. Decades from now, many decades from now, uh, after living a long and happy and fruitful life, and after changing so many people's lives and the actual geography of our planet, um, you're going to pass on just as generations past have to the afterlife. Um, and for some reason I'm still around and I've been asked <laughs> and I've been asked to give your eulogy. So I'm standing there in this big room mm. with family and friends and people you've worked with and pe people whose lives you've touched. And I'm up there, my task to talk about your life and legacy in a few sentences. What do you hope that I would say about your life and legacy on that day? Wow, man, what a question. Uh, <laughs> it's the question, right? It's the question, it's the question. Uh, I guess I would need a lifetime to answer the question, but what comes to uh, me right now is that I was someone who uh, followed his heart and who tried to contribute to, to something bigger than himself, to humanity. And that along the way, he also was present for those around him, uh, you know, the loved ones that, that, that you know, surround your day-to-day -to -day life and that uh, acted with generosity and integrity. I mean, that sounds, I like, a, that. That sounds like a life well lived to me. Mm. Diego, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for sharing your story. And I hope that uh, a number of people listening to this conversation will go check out uh, your company and who you are and what you're doing and get involved in some way, because this is, as we, uh, as we, as we really hammered home several times throughout this conversation, like tackling this climate crisis is the mother of all issues, because if we don't get this right, nothing else will matter in 40, 50 years. We will live, we yeah. will be living and existing in, in an inhabitable place and it won't be good for anyone. So let's get this right in yeah. the next couple decades. Uh, and I know that you're going to be a valuable part of that conversation and that work. So thank you very much. Thank you for the work you're doing. Super important. We need to keep bringing people uh, into, into the arena and have them give a damn. So thank you. I love it.
Friends, that is it for today. Thank you so much for showing up and for spending time with us this week. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadamn.com. Please share this episode with a friend. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please show up next week. We have so many more incredible conversations coming your way. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins, and the team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.